Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. Hi, and welcome to episode 231 of Martha Runs the World. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a couple great topics that I'm going to talk to you about today. The first one is about a race I just did yesterday. I'm going to give you a race report, tell you what's going on, and then I'm going to talk to you all about my sobriety and why it's so important to me and why I became an alcoholic and how long it's been. It's been 18 years, 18 years, people. That's right. And all that. First, I'm going to talk to you about the San Francisco half day. All right. First, I want to ask you, how are you? How are you doing? How are your runs doing? I am almost ready to start running. I had my biggest tests yet. I completed the San Francisco half day. Yes, it's the half day, not the day race. The one day, as they call it, or as they used to call it, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of up in the air, but I will tell you why. I did that yesterday, and I'm very proud of what I did in six hours. It was It's at the Presidio, the San Francisco Presidio, which is a big tract of land. It's now owned by the GGNRA, the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, which is owned by the, by the government, basically by the National Park Association. Um, it's run by the National Park Association, and it goes by the laws of them, much like the headlands. And unfortunately, it's run by the same people. So that's probably why they they do not allowing them to do overnight events, probably because of that stupid, untrue coyote attack that did not happen, that a very famous runner lied about Dean Carnassus, cough, cough, <laughs> cough, cough. So, so he wouldn't be humiliated that he actually fell like a, like a real person on the trail and skinned his knee because he didn't want to appear human like all of us who fall. <laughs> so they couldn't have a 24 hour race. So that the GGNRA said to coastal trail runs, you can't have it overnight. You can only have it for the day. And they're not allowing overnight events anymore. So coastal trail runs said, okay, we'll have a half day, San Francisco half day instead of the San Francisco day. So coastal trail runs put on a 16 hour for people who want to do a hundred K event race and 12 hour and six hour which is really too bad. I mean, I'm sorry everybody has to suffer for one man's lie, basically. <laughs> basically, that's what it is. So thanks for lying. You shouldn't lie. Don't lie about something so silly. Well, don't lie about anything, really. Lies lies are bad, okay? Lies are bad. All right. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with the their New Year's event at the same place, same location. I don't know if they're if they will move it or if they will do again do sixteen 
hours, 12 hours, and six hours. I don't know. They haven't opened it up to, to sign up yet. If they do move it, then they can probably do the 24-hour. If they do move it, hopefully I can get a ride because I'd like to do it again. We'll see. It's a long way in the future, so we'll see what happens. It's just really, really too bad that one guy messed it up for everyone else. So thanks for being selfish. It was a good day nonetheless. It was a lot of fun. I saw a lot of people I knew, a lot of couple people who've been guests on the show, and it was just really, really fun. It was fun to see uh, my friend Michael, and he gave me a ride there. I'm going to do his event. He's putting on uh, the Bootleg Boogie, which is going to be in February at in Boulder City in Nevada next February, and that's going to be really, really fun event. That will be my first 50-miler, and I will talk about that more on the show as it gets closer to the day. That's the first weekend in February. He's It's going to be 100-miler, 50-miler, I think, and a 35-miler. I believe that's what that is going to be. And you can look that up in, in the Ultra Sign Up, and you can check out Bootleg Boogie for that. And I'll, I will put a link on the web on the show notes for that too, if you want to sign up. It's going to be fun. It's really going to be a fun event. And it's in it's in the desert, but it's in February, so it's not going to be hot, or not that hot anyway. So it'll be fun. But I am very proud of what I did. I got thirteen loops in, and I got about. 14 miles total, and I walked it. Of course, I'm not running yet. I'm, I start running next month, a couple weeks. But I walked it. I walked as far as I could. I walked until my quads were aching, my calves were aching, and my feet were aching. I just went as far as I could until I couldn't go anymore. I pushed myself. As a matter of fact, at 12 loops, I really wanted to stop. I said, oh, I want to stop. I don't want to keep going. I really, really want to stop now. But I forced myself to do one more loop, just one more. And then at that, at the end of the 13 loops, I said, I, I can't go anymore. I just can't. If I go, if I go one more, I know I'm going to hurt something. So I, I did go, I did get that 13th in and I said, that's it. At 13, I got 14 miles in because I did make a couple pit stops to the restroom, but I'm counting that mileage on my own personal <laughs> on my own personal mileage count. I'm counting that. I know it doesn't count on the record in ultra sign up or or in the race report. It doesn't count, but on my own personal mileage count, it counts. <laughs> and my calf, I I had had calf problems before, not injury or anything, but just a tight calf uh, on a couple of my training walks. One training walk, I went out, I wanted to get some mileage out, but I had to stop short because at three miles, my calf got, my right calf uh, got so, so tight, it started to hurt. And this is on the the strong, the dominant calf, not on my left calf where I just had the surgery uh, on my hip, but on the right calf, it started getting so tight, I had to stop walking and go home and I rolled it out and it felt better. But that calf did not give me any problems at all until around set mile seven and I rolled it out. I just roll I brought my roller with me. I rolled it out and it felt much better. It didn't give me any more problems at all. None at all. 
and I came home and I rolled it out and it felt fine. So whatever I did, I've been rolling it every night and I rolled it again this morning and it felt fine. So I think just continually rolling it and and doing uh, some toe lifts and just strengthening it and and exercising it and not overdoing it has really, really helped. I had the same problem with my other dominant leg before I had hip surgery on my right hip in that we move differently when we have a problem. If one side there's an injury, the other side, the dominant side takes up a lot of the extra burden and it gets too overworked. So it, before it gets injured, it's going to flag. There's going to be a red flag saying, Hey, I'm a little tired here. I'm a little overworked. Take care before I get injured. I'm going to send you the sign, help, help. <laughs> and so it lets you know what's going on so that you can take precautions or you can do something before there's an injury. So it's all connected and we have to read the signs and we have to see what's going on before there's a problem. And I, I was able to, to stop and to take care of that before I got an injury, which is good. <laughs> I'm trying to read, read my body and to read how things feel and to see what's going on before it becomes a bigger problem. That I'm really, really trying to do that and trying to listen and trying to take care of things. That is one of my goals is, is to listen. Don't be dumb and just ignore it. Because <laughs> I've done, I've ignored stuff before. That doesn't work. But everything is all connected. We have to remember that and just treat our bodies. We have to remember that and just treat our bodies like that. And just know that nothing is isolated. It all fits in. I listen to music for most of the day because I it it keeps me going, especially on a looped course like that. I it just especially and while I'm walking, because <laughs> walking is isn't as exciting as running and I need that motivation to keep walking. And there are some times where I just got so emotional. I was so happy that I was out there doing this and it was feeling good. I can't express how joyful it is to be out there and and even just walking, not even running yet, but even walking and not having pain. It, it's a miracle. It really is. Just to wa walk for hours and not have pain is an incredible thing. I, I haven't done that for, for really to know that this will be my life now for a long time is it, just such a, an incredible thing. <laughs> I can't express it. I, I'm so happy. And I was so happy. I, I tears of joy. And, and I know there, there were a lot of people on the course and I really didn't want to cry. <laughs> but I certainly felt like tears of joy. I was so happy. So I was smiling a lot and I was just very happy. And, and another thing too, is that one, one thing that, that my bad hips took away from me is that it took my posture away from me. I had terrible posture and, and especially like with my right hip, my right hip was bad and I couldn't even stand up straight. It, it just made for such horrible posture. 
So um, when I when I was able to get both my hips fixed and everything like that, my posture just has improved remarkably. So that I, when I looked at the pictures, I got pictures back of my of my race, and I looked at them this morning. And I like them. It's like, my goodness, they're such great pictures. I love them. So I bought one of the pictures this morning. I'm so happy with it. I haven't bought a race picture in years. I said, I love this picture. So, so I bought it and I was showed it and I'm just very pleased with it. I'm, I'm pleased with the whole day and, and the whole race and my effort. And I just, I just couldn't be happier with it. It's just a, such a great start to this phase of my life. And I'm ready to go forward. I'm ready to keep going. And I, I can even tell you on my counter that my next race, which is the Ride to Walk, which I did last year, and I'm doing it again this year. I'm going to go farther this year, too, I'll tell you. My next race is the Ride to Walk in, in Penryn. It's 96 days, 13 hours, 19 minutes, and what 44 seconds so i can't wait for that one and yes i'm going to go there i'm not going to camp this year i'm not going to do any camping afterwards because i really can't afford that but i'm going to go up there just for a quick trip i'm going to go up uh friday and i'm going to come back sunday so it's just a really really super quick trip but i'm going to go up i want to do more miles this year so I'll, i'll so I'll do that a lot faster and, and it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm going to have a good time. It was a great day. I got to see a lot of people I knew and just, a, and I met some really, really cool people too. That was a lot of fun. So very happy I did it. I just hope that they can get the new year's one worked out. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully I, I wish them the best because Coastal is just rocking it. I love them very much. All right. Now that is that. And now I celebrated my 18th birthday of sobriety. I like to call it our birthday. I got that from AA where it, we do think of it as our birthday because it is like a birth. It's like a reawakening, a rebirth, so to speak. It is. It's, it's a rebirth. Um, all right, I'm repeating myself. <laughs> Sorry. But I'd like to th- talk about a different part of my sobriety or or part of why I'm sober or of how I became sober every year on this show. I know it's not exactly running, but it's why I can do this show. It's why I can run. It's why I'm alive because I don't think I'd be alive if I wasn't sober. That's for sure. I would not be on this earth if I wasn't sober. I think I don't think people would, would turn to excess of alcohol or drugs if they were happy. I don't think that's a natural thing for humans to do. If they were happy with their lives, they would not use things in excess because using drugs or alcohol in excess is something to get away from reality. If you want to escape reality, you drink to excess, you use drugs to excess. That is my experience. If you have a different experience, then that's you. That's fine, but this is my experience. My experience is that I drank to get away from 
my reality because my reality wasn't that good. I wasn't happy in life. I was angry and I was unhappy. I grew up on the outside. It was a seemingly perfect middle-class family with mom and dad and kids and everything, but it wasn't perfect. I mean, it wasn't happy for me. There was a lot that made me unhappy in my life. There was a lot of pressure growing when I was growing up. I was not allowed to be who I was. I was my mother wanted me to be someone who I was not. I was always it was always demanded of me to be who she wanted me to be. I started playing the violin because well because my sister had started playing playing it and I looked up to her at that time. At that time when I was little. <laughs> that was long before some bad things happened that she did to me. But once I started playing it, my mother all of a sudden got this idea that I was this amazing, great violin player. Well, I really wasn't. I wasn't that good. But I guess in, in a little grade school where there are three violin players and nobody's very good, it's easy to say that your kid is the best out of three not very good violin players of these little kids. And none of the little kids are are any good at all it's easy to say that your daughter is pretty good. Well, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I really wasn't. But she thought I was the best violin player in the whole world. And she made it a point to tell every one of her friends how great I was and to sh have me play in front of every one of her friends. Okay. And I that took private lessons and everything. And then the reality hit that I went to junior high and the reality was, was that I was second to last. I was not good at all. And the really, really good violinist, he was, I, I remember his name. His name is Ernie. Ernest. We called him Ernie. We didn't care. He was, boy, was he a jerk. <laughs> I remember him. I hated it. I hated playing it. I hated playing that thing. I hated what it represented. I hated her pressuring me. I hated everything it represented because it wasn't who I was. I hated how she bragged about how good I was. I hated how she would say, you could be a concert violinist if you tried. Well, I tried. I tried and I tried, but I hated playing it. I hated how she had my whole future planned out for me, but that's not the future that I wanted. I didn't even know what I wanted in my future, but I wasn't allowed to know my future. She had my future planned out for me, but that wasn't the future that I wanted. So I didn't even know what, what I wanted for my future. My future was what she wanted, not what I wanted. And I didn't even know what I wanted for my future. So my future was this whole thing that I knew I could never achieve. <laughs> I was second to last in the violinist. I could never get farther than that. I always lost in these challenges. We had these challenges, and I always lost. And then all the other violinists used to laugh at me because I always lost. And they would make fun of me. And the concert and the director used to make fun of me. 
because I would lose these challenges. And they all used to make fun of me because I would lose these challenges because you had to do these challenges in front of everybody else in the, in, in the, in the orchestra and you'd lost and then they'd make fun of you. It was horrible. It was horrible. And, and then, then in, um, in high school, I remember that I, I was, I was a freshman. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how really signing up for classes worked. I remember that my, my name was like the last group of freshmen who got to choose classes and uh, a required class that I needed as a freshman was the same, was at the same time as or as the orchestra. And so I, I just said, Oh, well, I just won't do orchestra. I'll just quit. And so I signed up for the class that I needed and quit orchestra. And my mom was so mad, mad at me because I quit orchestra. She didn't talk to me for two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks. She didn't talk to me for two weeks. And so I knew then that uh, she only loved me because I played violin. That was my reasoning as a freshman, as as a 14-year-old. I knew that I broke her heart and that I could never live up to anything that she wanted me to live up to. And I had no direction. I had absolutely no direction. I had no... I, I knew that whatever she wanted for me, I could never, ever achieve because I wasn't good enough. And then she she would say things like, well, why don't you just make friends with the popular kids? That's who I always liked, and they're really cool. Well, (laughs) not to me. I was always the misfit type kid. I didn't fit in. I was I was really sensitive, but I was creative. See, that's the thing. I was a very creative, very sensitive kid, and I was really shy, and I didn't like talking to a whole lot of people. I tried to make friends with them and they laughed at me. And I I didn't know really know how to talk to people. I was not social. My mother was I mean, she wasn't a mean person. Yeah, you know, don't get don't get me wrong, but she was really she was very sociable and very very good at what she did. She was very sociable. She was very perfect. Everybody loved my mother. She was, she got along with everybody. She knew how to talk to people. She'd go into room and talk to everybody in the room and everybody would know her name and like her. That's how she was. Not me. I, at that time, I could probably do that now because I have the social skills but at that time, I would be the, the person who would go in the room and not really know anybody or talk to anybody. Have you ever seen The Breakfast Club? Yeah, I was the Ali Sheedy <laughs> character. Yeah, except without the dandruff. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be definitely be me. I was just really, really shy and quiet, and and I I just didn't have hardly any friends. I I might have one or two friends here and there. I started to make come out of my shell and make friends in in se- my senior year, but those friends were the friend the people that my mother said not to talk to, and those were the quote unquote stoners. <laughs> those were the people who were the nicest to me. They were the nice kids. Because they were misfits like me. They were the outcasts. They were the people who weren't accepted by all the the popular kids. See, I went to a school that was half rich and half not rich. We were the not rich. And the rich kids, most of the rich kids, unless they were misfits, they didn't like us because we didn't accept them. We didn't care how much money they had. We didn't care about material things. We didn't care about football or or any of that stuff. 
I mean, I found people who like to talk about things other than school. They t- they like to talk about politics or or movies and 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 world events and history and literature and things that were interesting. And I found Monty Python, and I loved Monty Python, and and then I found friends who listened to really cool music. I started listening to discovering bands like Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult changed my life. One of my friends who I had, her brother, listened to Blue Oyster Cult. I heard Blue Oyster Cult's Secret Treaties album. It blew me away. I heard this album, and I said, this is like one of the most amazing albums I've ever heard. I heard that. It was just unreal. They're still, to this day, they're my favorite band in the whole world. I love them so much. But all all this stuff, listen to Pink Floyd and Blue Oyster Cult and all that stuff, and then of course that led on to other things, and and then um, and of course we partied a lot in those days. It was just partying and 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 drinking and and all kinds of other things. I'm not going to talk about in the air, but but um, and and then of course after high school, drinking got into more partying and and stuff, and then it just got into more and more and more. It led to a lot more just eventually binge drinking, which was what I did. I I didn't necessarily drink every day, but it got to the point where if I drank, I didn't know if I would drink one beer or 12. (laughs) So that's, that's not a good thing. No, that is not a good thing. So I, one day I woke up and, um, I was bored. I was bored drinking and I was bored with hangovers and I was bored doing all this. So I knew I had to stop. I I knew I had to stop all that behavior. And that's when I went to AA and, and, and decided that was the end of it. But that is where I believe that my, my behavior came to deciding to escape reality is that I just, I didn't have the love for myself. I didn't have the self respect or the desire for myself as a child. And, and I, I see parents pushing their kids to do all these things. Well, you have this, you have this studying at this time, you have this at this time, you have this at this time. Well, what does the kid want to do? Does the kid want to do all this other does the stuff? Or is this what you want the kid to do? And, and it just sounds like what I went through as a kid and, and, I don't know if they're going to be happy with their lives either. It's one thing to support a kid who wants to play baseball, for example. If the kid wants to play baseball, then you support them all the way. But if the kid doesn't want to play baseball or doesn't care about it, but you want them to play baseball, that's different. That's not right. That's not not a good thing. So you have to make sure that if your kid wants to do something, then you support them. But if your kid doesn't want to do do something, but you want them to do something, that's not a good thing. That's the kind of situation that I grew up in. It doesn't work that way. The kid has to want to do it or it doesn't work. And they'll grow up with really, really bad uh, self-image problems. Trust me on that. <laughs> oh, well, that's enough of me rambling. That's enough of me talking. Yeah, life is too beautiful to waste on alcohol and drugs. And uh nah. Nah, I'm not it not into it. No, nah. and if you need help, if you want help, I am here for you. 
Email me anytime, MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmail.com. And the website is MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. Yes, thank you so much for being here with me. I love you all. And yeah, life is beautiful. And until next week, let's tie our shoelaces and go for a run.